The Happy Even After Podcast. The Happy Even After Podcast. Divorce sucks, but it doesn't need to define you, and it doesn't need to be the end of your story. The Happy Even After Podcast. Meet your host, Renee Bauer, an award-winning divorce attorney, peacemaker, author, and founder of The D Course, an online divorce educational program. She's been doing this work for almost two decades, and she is passionate about helping all women make it out the other side. The Happy Even After Podcast. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I am here today with a friend, Karen Jakubowski, who is a well-respected international influencer on helping kids live happier, healthier lives. She has touched the lives of thousands of families in multiple states with her ability to connect and help kids experience success from challenging behaviors. She has a doctorate in educational leadership and nearly 20 years of experience in education as a teacher assistant principal and principal, and is highly regarded as an educational game changer. Her insights have been featured in various media outlets, including the Washington Times. And Karen is an empowerment coach who provides a framework for parents who feel helpless when their child is experiencing challenging problems at school or at home to experience the happy life they always dreamed of. So I'm so pumped to have her here. This conversation has been a long time coming. So welcome. Thanks, Renee. It's so good to I'm see so you again. I'm so excited to chat with you about this. And I think this is really an important topic, especially with everything going on between COVID and in the age of social media. And before we hopped on this, I had mentioned to you that I have a 15-year-old son And it blows my mind when he tells me the things about what is happening in his school as to the struggles that some of his classmates have. And so much of it, and particularly with girls, I think, because he doesn't say it's the same struggles with his group of friends, but with the girls with around social media. And what are you seeing? What are you seeing? Like how are kids being challenged because of the landscape that we live in with this digital era? Yeah. So I see it a little bit with our fifth graders, the 11 and 12 year olds, and it might vary depending on where you are or what kids have access to, you know, what parents allow their child to have access to in my school. And and what I see here locally with just kids that I influence and work with, it's more the end of fourth grade to fifth grade, but that doesn't mean other places it's, it's not even going younger. And I do know and believe and have heard it, it has hit kids at younger ages, which, which just makes me so sad. And a lot of high schoolers. So I interviewed on my podcast, Momnificent. If, if you haven't heard of it yet, you might find something fun and inspiring to, to encourage you as parenting. But I interviewed two high school students who their teacher did a three minute of mindful silence at the beginning of every one of their classes. And they were just saying how that just totally helped them just really, I'll put the words in their mouth, like center themselves and really has helped them even through the pandemic. They, they went as far to say as that practice pulled them through the pandemic when things were so uncertain and social media. I mean, they were like, Karen, we wake up in the morning and that's the first thing we look at. The first thing they look at is their phones. I mean, probably most adults probably do that too, I would say. But these teenagers, I mean, they were like, we look at the phone and immediately like our stress level rises. If we see something that someone posted, did they include us? Did they not include us? Did they say something? Was it mean? One day someone's a friend, the next day they're posting something and you're questioning whether they're your friend anymore. I mean, the whole like drama and energy that goes with all of that before they have even started their day to go into school to sit for eight hours, to try to learn, focus, pay attention. 
And these two girls had part-time jobs after school on top of their homework and sports or music. So, you know, I interviewed Dr. Michelle Borba, who wrote the book Thrivers, and who interviewed hundreds of teenagers across the U.S. And her book just published last spring. And time after time, the kids were saying, we're so exhausted. We're so burnt out. We feel like we're mechanical. We feel like we're just a score in a school. And they really have, have really suffered with that emotional piece, which sometimes on social media, it's that lack of a personal connection. Because you would never say to someone in person, I believe nine times out of 10, the things that were so yeah. easy to write or how easy it is to put in an email. And sometimes when I get an email, I pick up the phone and I, I talk to the person. And a lot of times it's not even the high elevated you know, emotion that was coming through at first in the email. And so I think it's, it's very deceptive and a lot of kids are struggling with it. It's really hard for them right now. And they are you know, grasping for anything to help them. Yet it is what they yeah. all live on so much of the time. Do you see a difference with gender, boys and girls, whether the impact is the same? I have seen more girls get into the more drama of it, of she said, she posted, that was mean. Did you know that was mean? Well, we were friends, we weren't. Then I've seen from the boys, but then again, I'm only just speaking to the circle and and sphere that, you know, I I work in. And, you know, girls, we tend to be a little bit more emotional than guys. Sometimes they box it up, compartmentalize it and just go on with their day where, where us, it's like, oh my gosh, it just takes over our entire world. And I know if you can get to the place where you can work with your daughter and their friend in a situation that maybe wasn't so great, what I have done with those girls where it's been really stressful for the parents, like the best friends are now like the enemies and not talking to each other. And the parents are like, what? They just played a week ago and they were fine. Like, like parents just don't get it. And they're, they're taking the stress of it. They're throwing their hands up in the air. They don't know what to do. And what I have found to work that you know, anyone listening to this call might be able to take this away and try it with your child or your friend's child or anybody you know whose child is dealing with this, is if you can talk to the one child and just say, tell me what happened. How did that make you feel? You know, and was there something the other person did or didn't say that that made you feel a certain way? And I actually ask that if you had that opportunity to the, to the other child, because what I've experienced where there's been a lot of drama in person or on social media, especially with my fourth and fifth graders, is they have a lot of perceptions that they've created. And sometimes when someone does or says something, they take it one way and it may or may not be the way that other child meant it. I mean, I know I said a lot and that seemed confusing, but when, when we can get each of them to say, what bothered you? How did it make you feel or say on both sides? What I've experienced is nine times out of 10, at the end, they get a little bit more understanding of each other. Well, I didn't mean it when I said it like that, but but that's how I mm. took it. Oh, I'm really sorry. Okay, well, yeah, you know, can we get past that? Like now that you know and understand what you did or said made them feel a certain way, that's what helps I feel them gain an understanding of each other. That's just that perspective taking too. Because we just go in right with what we think or say, or we assume that you did or didn't say something meant this and now I'm hurt. Okay, so like let, let's talk about it. And we and I really talk it through with these kids back and forth and we share and I create a very comfortable environment where I'm like, okay, how did that really make you feel? Did you know that made them feel that way? And when you kind of use that tone of voice and walk kids through this, they're able to really let down their guard and let down their emotion and let down their anger. 
And we've gotten them to get to that point to really calmly talk it through and, and be like, okay, like, what do you really want here? Okay. You want this and you, you kind of really want that. Okay. Why don't we just give ourselves a break and see if, if we can't walk through this now that we've had this discussion, let's see if we can, you know, in the next time or moments or days kind of work together. Cause you usually both want to be needed. You all both want to be accepted. You both want to have a place. You both want to feel valued. That's the, the human nature inside right. all of us. And I feel like that conversation can help kids get to that point. And, and I've, I've seen it do like wonders. So that might be a tip that someone Does can listen to. Does that work try. for the older kids too? Because I feel like when you're in high school, there's this whole world happening where parents aren't necessarily paying attention to the conversations that are happening in social media. Like my son doesn't know this. He'll never listen to this. So he won't know. But like, I totally stalk all of his friends. Like I'm constantly looking at, okay, who are his friends? What are the comments? And it's so surprising to me to see the dialogue that happens in some of these conversations. And usually it's not like his, I'm like following and and like looking at that trail. But, you know, part of me thinks that there aren't parents doing that or facilitating what you're explaining right there. And so much goes unsaid. Well, from my experience, parents don't even know how to do this. And this is a process that I learned like 12 years ago, and I've used it most times when kids are sent to the office when I was an assistant principal. And I just have used it in those situations to now transfer it to any problem that arises or, you know, a scuffle Mm. between two kids, which is why in in a course that I'm teaching live right now to parents in the evenings, I have a six week course going. It's teaching parents this because I believe it's these strategies and skills that as a parent, it could empower you to kind of problem solve with a child. Right. And I think that in kids don't know how to do this. And you know, my son, we were just driving to school this morning and he said that the girls, which I think is really sad. There was a, a core group of girls that they're always talking about each other. And so they're friends. And yet there's this, you know, and in his wise words as a 15 year old, he's like, they don't communicate with each other. They just talk about each other behind each other's back. And, you know, that that kind of breaks my heart because I think back to like the friendships that I have from high school and we didn't have social media. We didn't have what these kids are dealing with. And it seems like that's the mechanism that they're using to form relationships with each other. It's like, what are they doing behind the screen? So what, you know, what does a parent do to help them through the really difficult years of any age really, but high school in particular, where maybe the parents' hands aren't in it as much. Well, you know, parents are moving at 110 miles per hour, juggling their family, their finances, their home, their health, their mental well-being, their kids. And I can only imagine that at the heart of each parent of an adolescent, they want to do and be that involved and and help their child. And I, I know that they're doing the best that they can. And I think they're, they're balancing yeah. so many things that hopefully there are opportunities that, for example, I'm creating or people out there are creating to support parents and be like, hey, you know, I know you only have so many minutes, but let me teach you one little mm-hmm. tip that you can try this week with your kid to connect or engage or, or what have you. Because we're in a society where we are like, give me what I need. Yeah. Let me get it quickly and go yeah. and make it short. And that helped. Mm-hmm. Great. On to the next thing. Like, like that's what I'm realizing I do best learning with. Right. And so, so parents listening, 
just know that there is help for you. You could try to reach out to the school counselors in the schools to just say, hey, my daughter, my son may or may not know that I'm contacting you. But if there's a way for you to connect with them to see how they're doing and if they need some support in an area with their friends, that would really be helpful. Like if my school counselor got that, like, yeah, we would sit down with them and be like, hey, you know, what's going on? And when you can sit with them and hear from them and they hear that empathy in your voice, they're not there to point out something you did wrong or look down at you or make you feel, you know, belittled in any way. Like, hey, how can I help? And I think it's only as you sort of like coach these teenagers one-on-one or or with the other person that it's involved with, that you'll be able to, we'll be able to start healing these pieces because there's something hurt people, hurt people. So someone's hurting with something. And I think every adolescent needs a mentor. It takes a village to raise a child. There were so many positive influences in my life growing up in addition to my parents Mm -hmm. and family that made me who I am today, which is probably why I'm so passionate about this work, because I just love these kids when I see them, because I know they all need another adult. They say it takes seven contacts with different people in a school for a kid to feel wanted, needed, accepted, loved, supported. Like we think the teachers are doing it all. We think like, okay, the school counts are awesome. No, like seven different people like, hey, I noticed you. How was your day? Just connecting with them. And when you hear that, it's like, wow, I don't know that we're doing enough for our kids. And so, I mean, Thrivers, that book is a great place to start if you're someone who likes to read or I listen to everything on Audible. So does my husband or else I would never read anything (laughs) because we're driving, right? And we're we're, we're on the go. We're doing, doing, doing. So maybe that's something. Are there any red flags that parents should be looking for when they're observing their children? Any signs of, you know, something that they should be aware that their child is struggling? What we see is is when they're kind of acting in behaviors that aren't like them. Like you kind of got a great kid and wow, that was mean what you just said. Like, where did that come from? So notice if there's a different behavior coming out that you know is kind of not their MO to then just raise that mental flag in your mind. And I like this. Somebody said once, like how to get your kid to tell you something about what they're really mm-hmm. thinking because then you have the parents who are like, my kid yeah. doesn't talk to me. How do I yeah. get my teenager to talk to me? God, that, that's a huge issue. I was just helping a mom last week with. Well, say for instance, you want you want to know what your child thinks about quarantining mm-hmm. or something silly, for example. Then ask your child, hey, what does your friend Anne think about being quarantined and stuck at home at school? Like you ask them what their friends think and you'll actually hear oh, what... Because they'll either say, oh, they say this, and that's just like crazy silly. Or they'll be like, yeah, they say this and that and this. And, and you you might actually glean that they believe that also. I just love how they flip that because it is hard to get kids oh, sometimes. That's oh, fun. yeah. Because you, they get in the car. How was your day? Oh, <laughs> a grunt. <laughs> Boy, boys <laughs> grunt. <laughs> Maybe the girls might have more. <laughs> Yeah. And it was funny because I just asked someone that I was interviewing this very question since a parent had just asked it. And they were like, try to find the downtime where your kid's having a downtime and just be with them. So whatever they're doing, just be there. Or if there's something, you know, they like that they're doing that you can do together when they're relaxed and comfortable doing what they like, even if it's just chilling or Someone learned to play a video game so they could play mm. with their kid. Like they just wanted to connect with them on their level, but do something that they love and enjoy and get in on that. And that's when they're in a sense, guard is let down, even though it's not like you really like think or say that, but, 
but that's where things will start coming out and that just even that presence will, yeah. will make a connection with them that you might realize is something that you're kind of looking for, but you're just not sure how yeah. to get it. So the mental health needs of students is continually on the rise, even pre-COVID, and you found a proactive solution for kids in school. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So pre-COVID, me and my counselors like, would be every year, like the, the mental needs of kids is rising and we don't feel like there are resources coming into the schools to support us. And maybe not in all schools because things go where there's needs money and we are in not a title one school. And so we don't always see all those resources, but we have kids with anxiety and issues and, and we're seeing things. And so two years ago, my school counselor heard of a mindfulness coach teaching kids at one of the nearby schools. And she's like, we totally have to try to get this person to come. So we put money together. We wrote part of a grant. We got her to just pilot with our first grade kids. For six weeks, she came in once a week, 15 minutes, teaching them these mindfulness lessons where she was teaching them breathing, like they do a finger breath, a ball breath, noticing what you see, what you hear, just noticing with your senses. Very simple. Nothing, nothing like we don't sit like in a Buddha yeah. position or anything like that. Just sitting comfortably. They can close their eyes or look down at the floor, whatever's comfortable for them. So we don't make anybody do anything that might be either what their parent doesn't want them to do or that's uncomfortable for them. And she, I even had a teacher who was like, yeah, whatever. I, I don't know what, why we're doing this, but fine. You want to bring her in, she'll do it. Even though the teachers were in the room. At the end of the six weeks, specifically this one teacher was like, wait a second, there's something to this. I'm starting to use the practice and I'm doing it with my kids at home. Like, this is really amazing. So she was the spokesperson to share with the entire staff the next fall. And we talked with our building leadership team and decided to have the coach come in and teach all the kids and that was for eight weeks, a lesson each week through mindful schools. And then I took two classes myself so that I could also support it. And then the data was collected from grades two through five, where they self-reported some 40% said it helped them sleep better at night. I was like, if I get one kid to yeah. sleep better, I'm happy. What, what do I need to do? Uh, this excited me. And then 80% thought this should be taught to other kids. They were teaching it to their oh. siblings at home. They said it helped them feel more calm, helped them taking a test. Renee, all of a sudden I was like, I've been waiting for someone to do something. And this happened organically. And this is the proactive intervention that our kids need. I wished I had it as a yeah. kid. Oh my goodness. I even found myself having a stressful conversation with one of the staff members one day, walked back into office, sat down and started doing my yeah. breaths on my finger. My secretary walked in. She's like, oh, and I'm like, I just need to like get myself back to a place of not craziness in my brain because they were stressed out and I took the weight of it. And I just, you know, and it's crazy because we don't teach our kids that it's almost like every school should have that in the curriculum. How much more useful is that than geometry? <laughs> you know? Yes. Well, and these are skill. I mean, and that was pre-COVID. Yeah. Now? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And I use it. Now I'm practicing it on my own. It has been the number one thing to help calm and bring my brain to a place of stillness with, with the crazy emails, yeah. the phone calls, like with COVID we're remote, we're in person, the stress, like parents are trying to handle all this and, and we get the weight of it too. And we're all trying our best and it is a lot. And this is one of the number one things I found, even though I exercised and thought that was my good stress reliever. Yeah. And then teaching it to these kids 
and they get it and they're practicing it and they are so in tune with it. Every time I do it, it is amazing. I'm doing a star party each week. So one kid from each class comes to the cafeteria and I do some breaths and we talk about this little picture book of anxiety, mm-hmm. doing breaths and being grateful. And I can't not do this work now because of the benefits I've mm-hmm. seen. We'll be back just after this message. If you are feeling confused and overwhelmed by the divorce process, the D course can help. This video course will educate and empower you to make the best decisions for your future. Taught by an experienced divorce attorney, you will learn everything you need to move forward into your next chapter. Head on over to www.thedecourse.com for more information. You do not have to do this alone. Oh, that's amazing. I I love it. It's part of my life too. And it is the determining factor every single day on what my day ends up looking like. And when I forget to do it and I forget to like ground myself, I I end up frazzled. I'm like, oh, I have so much to do. And then it's like you do that practice and it brings you back and you're like, oh, like this is all good. Like I have the privilege of being busy. You know, it's just, it's awesome. So you brought up something that I want to touch on is anxiety in kids, because I am hearing that so much that kids are having anxiety problems. Is this new? Is this something that was just ignored for years? Like, why does it seem like so many kids are talking about having anxiety disorders? So we've been seeing it at large, really. So to us, it Mm. hasn't been new, but it does. It's sad. Like, I'm sad that I see kids. You're a kid. Like, when you're older, God, there's so many things you have to do and keep up with. And like, life is stressful. But as a kid, like, you should be enjoying it. It should be fun. You should, you shouldn't have those cares and worries, right? And as much as I don't know why the anxiety is on the rise like it is, there is one thing that I know that kids are mirrors of Mm -hmm. us. And if we are not regulated as the adult in their life, they're picking up and just soaking up everything we are and who we are and how we're responding or reacting or not. So a lot of the times I I work with my moms and and parents to say, like, when your kid is having a meltdown or a moment, just let them get it out of their system and don't talk to them in the moment because you're getting you know yeah. emotional too. Take your deep breath and only engage with them when I, I use the term, when they look calm and in control of their body. And they will eventually mirror you. If you can stay calm, I mean, you may be freaked out going on inside, which is true and that happens to me, but my outside is calm and they will eventually mirror us. And so that is such a beautiful mm-hmm. opportunity and lesson to t- take away from this that just you be still because if you're elevated, they will continue their elevation. And we all know that that just creates something that we all both regret in the end anyway. And so look at all the uncertainty with COVID and and job stability and financial hardships that are going on. Kids are seeing the adults in their lives, you know, going through loss, family members, you know, the stress of being at home, working with your kid and trying to manage your job. And I got to keep my job, but I got to keep my kid like engaged in their remote learning if that's what it was or still is. And so they're picking up on all of that. And so a big thing I do in my coaching with moms is we just stop and take care of you and take time to talk about what is self-care for you. Because if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not going to be the best for your kids, which is what you want to be in that moment. And it's hard. It is so hard. I got people saying, I don't have time for that. You know, we know it's right, but it is so hard to schedule that. As important as that conference call is, I want you to consider giving yourself self-care of something you do quick or in 20 minutes or a day of it 
as importantly scheduled into your day. And then let's talk about it in a week. And I hold them accountable and it helps. It helps me. And it what helps about them. the, and you know, I have friends who will say this, it will be like, Hey, let's plan a weekend to go away. And they'll be like, Oh, our kids have soccer. We're too busy and we have to go to every single game that they have or in their, you know, mom guilt brain, their kids are going to be damaged if they don't show up for everything. Like, what do you say to that? It's that guilt wheel that we as moms do so well. And I just go back to if that's a time that you're going to carve out and you're going to commit to your own self-care to take care of yourself, to have fun, just like you would plan the sleepover for your kids to have fun. Hey guys, you know, we plan some fun stuff, cool stuff for you. And mom's got something planned for too. I would love to be at your game. You know, I want to be at, like, just tell them I want to be at every one of your games. I kind of feel bad when I'm not, but I'm, I, I'm going to take time for this. And if you're open with them about it, I don't think they're going to hold yeah. it against you. Right. Cause kids are kind of smarter than yeah. we sometimes give them credit for. And so, and they, if they see you taking care of themselves, They're watching that value and it will in turn influence what they do. And we want to create our kids to be a next generation who do take care of ourselves because it is so critical, important, and we're not doing it enough. So mom, take a risk, be open with your kids, do that for yourself and know that as you're doing it, you're teaching your kid and your family that this is what we value and they will hopefully be that open with their friends or their spouse or significant others when they have them one day to notice like that is important. Yeah. That's a great opportunity, even though it's so hard. It's easy to say it's so hard, but find someone else who supports you to help you through it, hold you accountable to it, telling them how hard that is for you and do it together with someone who will, will help you. And, and, and that always, and I think when you're divorced, I think you have a added level of the guilt factor because you feel like if I have to go to everything because I'm already missing time with my child. So now I have to show up for that thing. And I think it's, it's really, really hard to let go of that. It's okay to not do something. It's okay to, to allow the other parent to be the one responsible for it. And I see it all of the time with especially moms, dads too, but in, you know, particularly I hear over and over and over again from other women who say that, like, I can't miss that thing because I've already am missing out time with my child. So I think it's such important work. So another question for you, you talk about connection before correction. What does that mean? So when your kid does something bad and we're so quick to correct them or however your discipline structure goes, punishment, consequences, whatever's going to happen naturally or that you enforce, it's just that slight caution to say, make sure you're providing more connection time with them and not having the most things you do with them. Like you're not doing this enough or the discipline part, right? So just make sure you're building in more times that they can laugh with you, have fun with you, do something that they enjoy. It's funny. They tell us in school that we should give seven positives to a kid for every one correction we're going to make. And I can't say that it's, we always are that good at it, but it's always a good reminder to come back to. So you know, keep encouraging, keep connecting. I mean, with it, with school, with my kids, I would have lunch sometimes with students who would get behavior referrals because I wanted to, A, give them something to look forward to within their week that sometimes is them not doing good things because it's hard for them. They, maybe they're not getting their homework done. They struggle with their peers. I mean, gosh, God bless them. They, they need to do so many things right and, and 
kids are just kids. They're not robots. And so we really work with our staff that connect with that kid before you you do all the correction that you're going to need to do anyway that comes with being a kid and growing up and needing to do better in so many areas. And so that's one example that I would have lunch with them. Like, do you really know what makes that kid tick? And then when I had to correct them, we had a relationship and trust built where they actually opened up to me more because they they knew I had that investment in them. And it was an openness. It wasn't just like, I'm coming in as the assistant principal, you're wrong and you got to do X, Y, and Z. I really believe kids intrinsically feel bad when they do something bad, even if they don't show it to me. And sometimes we want them to look remorseful or feel it. And I, and I don't treat kids that way because I, I was that way as a kid. I was bad and I, I felt bad and I never want a kid yeah. to feel that way. And so I will, yeah, your consequence is here, but I'm not going to make you feel bad or talk down to you or yell at you or make you feel belittled in any way. And that's a very positive discipline approach that I take that I've seen be very, very beneficial for kids. And, and the parents really appreciate You that. spoke about a program. I think it's a small group coaching program that you have. Can you share a little bit of information about that? Yeah. So for right now, I'm doing a six week course with parents to walk them through this process that I, that I've been kind of touching on. How do you say what you say? What do you say? When do you say it? How to use empathy when kids are struggling and having challenging behaviors? It's one of two things. It's either a skill they need to be taught. They just haven't mastered yet. And so they're just showing up the only way they know how, and usually it's probably causing a problem or it's just a problem that needs to be solved. And our kids aren't used to problem solving. Like when I ask a kid, like, I heard you kick the kid on the playground. Like, what's up with that? They're just like, huh? Like nobody asks them these things. They just, we just give right. you the punishment and the discipline. And then when you talk about like, well, how, what do you think we could do to make that better? They just stare at you because they're just used to being told what to do and not on their own think, well, how do you want to make this better? And so this whole process that I teach parents within my membership is Mom and Dad, I think you could learn these these practices and and have success with your kids, and maybe not feel at a loss when your kid is struggling and you kind of put your hands up. And you're like, shoot, I don't know how to help my kid. Like, I want to help them, but I don't know the first thing to say or do. And anything I do isn't working, which is what I bumped up against until I learned this process. Is your your course geared for a certain age group, or is it across the board for anyone anyone who's a parent? So I have the most experience in the five to 12 year old kind of category, but I've given this advice to parents with high schoolers. And so I I know that people use it and do the work with, I'll I'll say all the way up to through high school. How do listeners out there who are tuning into this conversation and saying, I need more of this, I need more info. Where do we find you? How do they connect with you? And how do they get more information on the course that you offer? So I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Karin Jakubowski. My website is educationalimpactacademy.com. And I know you yep, have that in yep. the description notes for your Facebook. Click that link. There's a free video series on there of three steps to happy kids where I walk you sort of through some of this to, if you wanted to like hear it a little bit more, you can follow me on Momnificent Podcast. And uh, I'd love to hear your feedback, questions and thoughts. And my whole heart is just to help empower parents and 
feel like they have like real tools to help their kids when they're struggling in those most difficult moments. And happy kids, I believe really are possible. And I've seen kids who have misbehaved and get that bad kid rap. And we've changed the trajectory of, of who they should be. I don't think it should define who they are today because of the mistakes and things they made as a kid. And, and sometimes kids get stuck yeah. in that loop. And I'm here to help parents and, and educators break that loop. And let's free our kids, learn from the mistake, grow, problem solve, and become citizens that, you know, you're going to be proud of that your kid one day is on that stage saying, gosh, I really struggled with this. And my mom helped me through it. Like, that's so powerful. Yeah. And and it can be that way for parents. So I'm just really excited about that. And if I can help in any way, I'd love, love to help you. So Karen, you are a joy. Your work that you do is so valuable and you have so much passion for it. It is so clear in just this interview and how you talk about this work. So I'm so grateful for you. And I know that there are others out there who absolutely need you and need the help. I mean, we all need help in some way or the other. And parenting is usually a big one and we never ask for help. So you're revolutionary in what you're offering parents. So please, everyone reach out and connect if, if this resonates with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Renee. That's a wrap. Link up with us at MsReneeBauer.com. Remember to rate and review and share with anyone you think might find this episode helpful. You can change your story and live happy even after. 